Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening. I'm Leslie Langnaw, your host. NASA recently announced future rocket engines will include large-scale 3D printed parts. A number of other companies are exploring how 3D printing additive manufacturing can be used in future space projects. One company, Entopology, develops software that seamlessly combines synthesized geometry and simulation for use with advanced manufacturing tools, such as additive technology. I'm here with Ryan O'Hara, Technical Director of Aerospace and Defense at Entopology to discuss additive projects for the space and aerospace industry. So thank you for being here with me today, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. I uh, appreciate you inviting us. So let's start with the first question, which is, can you tell me how additive manufacturing is being used in space exploration? Yeah, so I think there's a big concept, and mainly with, with if we even take a step back about getting objects to space, right? So any, any land-based object, and then specifically any engineered part, uh, getting that into space as a uh, as a combined part or assembly, right, requires um, it to be launched into space, and to do that requires a lot of uh, ultimately money, right, because we need mm -hmm. propellants and rockets, and then uh, and to get that into this, into space. And so I think NASA is, is uh, aggressively pushing for space exploration, and as part of that, you can only get so far uh, based on a rocket with resources on earth, right? And there's a, there's a limit yeah. to how far that can go. And so, you know, if we can assemble parts at forward bases, right? So I think really space explorations becomes a logistics game. And so, um, you know, I spent some time in the military previously in the Air Force and uh, logistics is a huge part of any sort of military operation and very similar concept for space operations, right? It's a big logistics scheme. And so the closer you can have your supplies to where you're operating from, the mm -hmm. better off you'll be. And so um, in terms of that, in terms of uh, fundamentally and topology, we're a software company that focuses on advanced geometry. And we do certain things a lot better than traditional design tools. And oftentimes we're approached to discuss uh, space applications because people want to make their parts light, right? Or, and, and they want to reduce that cost to get that object into space. And then, and then I think with NASA, there's a big push to use, you know, minerals that you would find either on asteroids or on moons or different mm -hmm. planets, right? And so oftentimes that is tied to some advanced manufacturing method. And so the combination of design and manufacturing, I think will enable, whether it's habitats or future rockets or fuel, you know, at these forward operating locations. So would you classify your software as a generative design software or something else? Yeah, so I think there's the concept of uh, generative design and, uh, or just in design in general. So uh, I guess our, our biggest difference in our software is that we represent geometry is uh, what we call implicit math equations. And so just like there's equations that describe simple objects like spheres and cubes, when you, you kind of take that to the next level, um, we can actually represent all types of geometry as these math equations. But what that does is it's a lot easier to store an equation rather than the discretization of that geometry. And when I say discretization, that just means 
if you're trying to describe an object with facets or triangles or other types of geometry, if you have a million of those, that becomes potentially bulky and heavy to carry around these million objects. Well, it's a lot easier and a lot lighter to carry around a single equation and then discretize it into the shapes that you need, kind of like at the very end. And there's some advanced stuff, it's called a procedural software, but the idea is that we just store geometry as equations and they're much lighter than uh, representing a million different features. Now it sounded like when you were answering the first question, I know that there are a lot of companies developing additive or 3D printed parts here on, the, on Earth, but it also sounded like there's going to be the potential for a lot more of these types of machines being used either on space stations or on uh, space flights or if we land on a planet, on a planet. Yeah, there's a few folks. Um, I know there's a, there's a company called uh, Made in Space and yep. it's under, operating some NASA contracts. And then uh, there's a few others that uh, are, are working on, you know, a, a collaborative NASA effort to like be able to say use, uh, I don't know, I think it's like use moon dust to make a habitat, right? And so mm -hmm. you take that powder and some it can either melt it or bind it together to form an object. So there's a lot of technology um, associated with using those raw materials for that. And then, um, what, well, yeah, go, go ahead. I was gonna say on the generative design part, so, so our biggest difference is that we represent this geometry as equations. And then uh, there's a common thing in the industry where you use generative design or topology optimization. But the idea is that you use some sort of algorithm to, to help narrow in or explore concept variations. And we certainly tie into that, being able to allow users to, to take our unique geometry representation and, and do those things that are commonly associated with generative design. So. so as far as actually using 3D printing and additive manufacturing to develop parts and objects for space, what are some of the challenges in working with 3D printing additive manufacturing? Yeah, so I think um, I think everybody's always looking for a magic, maybe a magic pill to make their <laughs> designs better, right? The red pill and, or the blue pill, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and I think uh, part of it too is the industry itself is that you know is in coordination with marketing teams. You know, we I think the industry has maybe overplayed how simplistic things are in terms of um, achieving an optimal design. I think a big thing or focus that we have at our company is really the company name is N topology. And it's really short for any topology. And when we think of topology, that's representative of a, often people will think of it, uh, a map, right? And you have mm -hmm. the contours and so you get the, the topography of the earth in that sense. And that's the geometry. So really uh, our founders focus was to enable designers to be able to produce any geometry that they wanted or any topology. Mm. And, um, I think that's our core mission. And then we tie those things to things like simulation. And then when you do that, you can perform optimization because now you could reduce for stress because you can, you can take the geometry, you can analyze it for stress, and then you can make changes to that geometry or whatever um, optimization goal you had. So that's our, our fundamental capability there. But a, a key thing is that even though we enable any topology, we don't replace the designer. We just remove barriers to the designer to make geometry. I think that's a fundamental difference for us. And so oftentimes too, you know, um, it would, I think it would be silly for us to, to assume that a designer with 20 years of experience on 
space applications or radioactive or excuse me reactors for power generation in space that involve radiation you know it would be silly for us to think that we can just replace that person with an algorithm right mm -hmm. and so but if they need geometry that can take their designs to the next level that's really what we want to enable have you had any topologies that you really were struggling with or is there always going to be a solution you just have to find it yeah, so I think, you know, we've been exploring a lot with with heat exchangers in, in our software. And then and there's a couple of reasons for that, but they have broad application to both aerospace and automotive. And, you know, if we think about just our daily lives, there's there's heat around us all over the place, right? And, mm -hmm. and um, also in space, you know, um, the exchange of heat, you know, we have electronics. Um, we mentioned about these thermal generators um, based on using radiation uh, sources, but managing heat is important. But in space, you know, uh, there's a primary difference in that oftentimes you do not have an atmosphere, right? Yeah. And so now there's three primary methods for exchanging heat. And one of those is convection. So air or fluid moving over an object. The other is um, radiation. So you're actually radiating heat away. And then, and then the last is conduction. So when we think of these three methods, one of those is actually removed. So now you have to be more strategic and you have to be more um, involved in the design process to, uh, to, you know, to kind of account for this missing physics that's not available because you're in space without atmosphere. Okay. So what would you think, or can you maybe go through some of the benefits of using additive manufacturing in space and aerospace defense exploration? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest ones, and I think we alluded to it earlier, was that, you know, in terms of logistics, being able to, um, we're not going to be able to take all the material that we need with us yeah. um, into space. And so you're going to have to use the resources that are available to you. And then likely at that time too, we're not going to be able to build a, a steel mill on Mars, right? And so... <laughs> Not, we, in, not immediately, that's for sure. Yeah, not immediately, for sure, right? <laughs> and, and, and there's probably, in terms of space operations, there's going to be a stepped logistics chain, right? Maybe it's just set up a base. Maybe it's, maybe it's, it's kind of crude, right? But maybe mm -hmm. it's produced with rock from Mars that's been uh, ground up and powderized and then bound together with some sort of uh, binder. Or maybe it's melted together if it's more of an asteroid and there's more metal compounds there, right? So there's... Additive manufacturing, I think, will be key in being able to leverage resources that are readily available to those uh, space explorers. Okay. Can you maybe give a, a couple of recent examples of projects that uh, your company has worked on? And I'm assuming it's going to be more for aerospace than, than for space, but either one will, will work. Yeah, so I'll highlight the, uh, the topic related heat exchangers. So we've been exploring some of these geometries that are, they have a fancy name, but they're called triply periodic minimal surfaces. But what they really are is a combination of sines and cosines in space. And so what they do is they actually represent kind of like, it looks like a curvy, a curvy shape and with, with passages inside. And then the key is that they actually have two domains. So you can actually have a hot side and a cold side. And what we're finding is that these provide incredible capability um, to exchange heat more so than a traditional, what we would call a tube and shell. So this uh, a traditional heat exchanger typically has tubes inside and then uh, which passes either a, a hot or cold fluid. And then those are surrounded by an outer chamber that's usually a hot, a cold fluid and heat is exchanged that way. 
turns out though that those are incredibly simple geometries that are easy to manufacture, but um, you know, they don't necessarily maximize space associated with a, a volume. So that'd be one area. The other is um, for space applications, we've been using a lot of our, what we would call our traditional topology optimization. And then this produces uh, shapes that are, they look kind of bio-inspired or organic. I was wondering, because when you said that thing about the heat exchanger, an, an image of a nautilus came into my mind. Oh yeah, no, that's, a, that's exactly right, yep. Our representation of geometry is uh, really great for repeating structures. And so a nautilus is one of those where you have kind of like a helix or, yep. or a spiral shape. And then inside yep. of that spiral shape are chambers. The Nautilus uses those for buoyancy, but um, we can actually represent, you know, a helix is just, it does come from nature, but it's mm -hmm. really just a combination of sines and cosines, in this case, in just two dimensions, typically, in the X and Y. And so if you combine that in the third dimension, then we can really make good use of space there. The traditional topology optimization uses a, an algorithm that tries to maximize stiffness of a part, and that stiffness... Mm. Um, uh, when you perform this operation, it actually allows you fundamentally to visualize the load path of an object. Mm -hmm. And then using that algorithm, we can just put material where it needs to be. And oftentimes that might be associated with objects like, like trees or other bamboo or other things where they're only putting material where they need it, right? Because in nature, resources are finite. And so we need to leverage material in that sense. Oftentimes, too, I think the, the, the third application would be uh, using our geometry. I mentioned repeating structures, but oftentimes as you, you go from, like, if you look at maybe this Nautilus example, right? You know, we start with a hard shell, right? And then you look a little bit closer and you find, oh, it's got this spiral shape. So there's another level of detail there. And then you find at, maybe at the smallest level that there's, you know, those individual chambers. And so if you think about other geometry in nature, you know, you have the large representation of a tree, and then you have, and then you start looking closer, maybe at the limbs, right, where the limbs are only mm -hmm. going where they need to be. And then, you know, as you, as you burrow down even further, maybe you start looking at the wood itself or the rings of a tree. So the outer rings are much um, softer than the harder interior, mm -hmm. right? So that allows the tree to grow, but also maximizes stiffness and compliance of the the tree because you know if you go a level further the the um the fibers in the tree are, are directional right so they're yep. typically in the vertical direction so there's all these kind of like it's like peeling back an onion there's all these layers of design and geometry that can be represented and so our approach to representing those geometries kind of covers that span of macro to micro scales well design is so interdependent on the capabilities of the tools that you're working with we've been trapped in, or not trapped, but we've been stuck into doing squares and circles and simple shapes like that because of the tools that we've had. But now with things like generative design, now we can do other things. However, now we're limited a little bit in the manufacturing of that. Well, and I would say, you know, uh, up until fairly recently, I mean, I, I might be boastful and say in our products as well has enabled this, but, you know, the ability to produce complex designs via additive manufacturing was almost ahead of our ability to actually design them. I agree. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so um, I think that's like an area or a niche that we're exploring. And I think kind of um, to the theme of making parts fast, not only can we produce these complex designs, we can actually produce them very quickly. And, uh, you know, and we think about, you know, kind of tying this back to space, space is an exploding 
uh, market right now, and you know, it's being filled by small private companies now too. So the empowerment of advanced manufacturing to help produce rockets that can, you know, just get out into the uh, space now as democratization is happening, you know, kind of as we speak. And then you start looking ahead to like, how can we leverage these then in this logistics game that definitely comes up as well. And so being able to take advantage both in terms of complexity and then speed is a huge capability. So it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity coming up for additive manufacturing and various design programs in the space business, in the aerospace industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, very much so. And you know, one I think um, we're exploring now kind of with some topology optimization parts where there's, they have these bio shapes and we're actually using additive manufacturing in a, you know, where it's a, a complementary thing. In this case, we're actually producing a sand casted mold for mm-hmm. a, a foundry operation. So we're just gonna pour aluminum in a mold, but that mold has been produced via additive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, it, and that's a combination of sand and uh, an epoxy binder, right? And that's um, kind of a technology that's likely to be used in these further out space applications where you know, you're binding this core material together to produce a part. But that's also, on the additive manufacturing side, it, it, it can also be complementary to existing or oh, yeah. what we're calling advancement. I call it advanced manufacturing where it's maybe it's multi-axis machining combined with an additive sand casted mold and mm-hmm. so we kind of leverage these hybrid pieces too there's a lot of opportunity as well well that's uh that's great ryan thank you that's all the questions i have but is there uh something that you want to bring up that we haven't addressed no i think um i think the biggest thing for me would be is um you know in terms of space and uh, advanced manufacturing there's a lot of capability that's available today and i think kind of like maybe the biggest uh, hindrance to adoption that I see is just that people's willingness to explore these new technologies versus mm-hmm. versus the traditional, I'm air quoting, you know, this is the way we've always done it. And I yeah. think, and I, th- I think the, uh, you know, we're, we're engaging with customers now who are embracing these technologies because they want a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Right. And then uh, I think, uh, I think the future lies in um, engineers being bold and exploring both new design capabilities and new advanced uh, manufacturing capabilities to kind of enable the future. Well, I appreciate your time, Brian. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Leslie. 